All right. We are in a series called Honest Questions That Deserve Honest Answers, trying to help us understand how to respond to people who have seriously honest questions about what's going on or what the Bible is about, what our faith is about, or just some questions that keep them from really buying into what it is that we stand for. I think sometimes as Christians, we have too thin of a skin and we get offended when people ask us questions. We think that they're trying to attack us. We think that they're trying to undermine us. When all the while, what they really are searching for is answers. People are searching, they're seeking, they're looking for answers to questions and they're honest questions and they deserve those honest answers. A lot of times we respond in a negative way, not because we think they're going to undermine us necessarily, but because we don't have the answers and we're intimidated because we don't know how to respond. Well, that's what this is about. Now, we're not gonna get into psychology, we're not gonna get into world, the, the world's view, we're not gonna get into debate about this, that, or the other thing. My goal throughout this series, as you've seen already and as we're going to be seeing moving forward, is to give you biblical answers to questions that people have because that's the way that we as Christians answer. When you start getting into arguments, when you start getting into discussions that veer away from the Bible, you start opening up cans of worms and going down rabbit trails that are gonna take you far away from where you need to be and farther away from where they need to be. Remember, the goal with, when we interact with unsaved people, lost people who don't know Jesus Christ, is to bring them to Jesus, to introduce them to Jesus and the possibility of him being their savior. You can't accept Christ for them, but you can lead them to the cross. And that's our goal. Now, if you would stand with me, we'll read, <laughs> our text, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, says, Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You may be seated. I love the part there in that passage that says, um, so that you won't be intimidated, and so that you won't give them any more ammunition. Sometimes our greatest problem as Christians is that we go around shooting ourselves in the foot or we give our enemies the ammunition to take shots at us. That's not a good way to convince people that what you believe in is true. As we've been doing at the beginning of each sermon in this series, we're gonna be looking at prophecies that are categorized as signs of the times. This has a purpose because I believe we are in the end times. I believe we are, we are in the, I believe Christ could return and take those who are saved in the rapture at any moment. And I believe it's important for us to know that. And the reason I'm giving these prophecies and signs of the times is so that we'll understand that and understand the need for us to 
learn and grow and become sharp in our faith because the days are short that we have to share our faith with people. This morning, we're going to take a few minutes to examine the prophecy of Matthew 24, verses 6 through 8, when Jesus says that in those days, nations shall rise against nations. That has always been interpreted in the past as uh, wars. Wars will increase, and people have been keeping track, and those who keep track of the end times have been keeping track of wars and conflicts throughout the world. And nations that don't normally fight each other starting to fight each other. But if you study into that, and you dig into those words and what those words mean in the original Greek, you'll find that that word nation actually comes from the Greek word ethnos, E-T-H-N-O-S. I think you can see where I'm going. We get our English word ethnic from ethnos, which extrapolated out boils down to ethnicities. So what Jesus is saying is there will be wars and rumors of wars and rumors of wars. Um, I mean, you, all you have to do is look online and read online and you hear about rumors of wars where we're talking, people are talking about Afghanistan again, right? Afghanistan is about to explode. Iran is always, Israel and Iran, the, the, if you read about that, they're about to go to war right now is what the, the thinking is. And that is part of that prophecy as well as earthquakes. Haiti had just had another major earthquake. There are earthquakes. If you look around the Midwest of the United States where fracking is going on, whether you, whether you like to hear it or not, um, earthquakes have gone up 400% in those areas. So there's earthquakes all over the place, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. What Jesus was saying here is one of the signs of the times is that there will be ethnic rivalries and ethnic wars between different ethnicities in the end times. And we are very American centric and we talk about America all the time, but that's not the only pro prophecy or prophetic uh, nation talked about in this passage. We here in America though are defined by our tribes now, aren't we? We have European Americans, in fact, white European males, such as myself, we're the problem, we're everybody's problem right now, I guess. Everything is, yeah, every, if you ask my wife, she'll admit that. But we have Euro European Americans, we have African Americans, we have Native Americans, we have uh, Asian Americans. We're defined by our tribes. And as you know, over the last two years especially, now there's always been divisions and there's always been racism, there's always been struggles. And I'm not minimizing those because I believe slavery is the great sin of America and I believe the way it continues on through racism, it's uh, a great failing of our country. But over the last two years, those divisions have only deepened. And not just here in America, what has happened in America has reverberated throughout the world. Racial unrest is a major issue. Over, two, over the last, since in, in, two, in 2020 and 2021, so far, there have been at least 30,445 political protests and violence events resulting in over 20,000 650 human deaths 
in the 10 most contentious racial hotspots in the world. Not over territory, not over nations attacking each other. This is racial unrest. Groups in uh, Myanmar, in Ethiopia, India, Pakistan, those regions, those groups are attacking each other based on racial differences. Demonstrations in 4,460 cities in 60 different countries around the world have been directly linked to the racial unrest in the United States. And here in the United States, peaceful protests, peaceful protests, have resulted in 25 deaths last year alone. It is beyond argument. Like I said, there's always been racial unrest. There's always been races, and there's always been struggles between the races. But I think you, I think you would have to be, I'll use a, you would have to be incredibly uninformed to think that over the last two years, racial tension and racial unrest has not exploded, not just in this country, but in the world. Not only is it getting worse and more tense, it is turning more and more violent. And we saw last week that violence is another sign of the end times. Once again, that unrest has existed for centuries. It is ramping up. It is exploding right now. And that's not the only thing to look at. It's not just that. It's the fact that all of this is happening together. All these signs that are, are, are prophesied about the end times are all happening now. The things that we've talked about over the last four weeks, including today, all of these signs are happening right now. They've never happened in our, in our time, in, in my lifetime, at the same time. And that's what Jesus said. When these things happen at the same time, look up for your redemption draws nigh. It's incredibly important. Now, it's important, I believe, that we talk about race. I think it's important that we talk about it in church. I think it's important that we as Christians get over ourselves, our biases, our preconceived notions, whatever you want to call them, and reach out to our brothers and sisters of another race, of another ethnicity, and become friends, and become partners in ministry. And we become an example of what can be when Jesus Christ is put first. But I think beyond that, it's incredibly important that we not become distracted by these things. I've seen many, many, many Christians and churches turn away from sharing the gospel to becoming politically active. And their whole purpose and their whole goal right now is social justice. Now, I don't really care where you stand on social justice. That's up to you. You're your own citizen. You are who you are, and you have the right to do whatever you want to do. But when your desire to have your free rights in America and your freedom in America trump the ability of others to hear about Jesus Christ. And when you're working for equal rights, whether it's the Me Too movement, whether it's, uh, whether it's social whatever, when your activity there overcomes and goes beyond your desire to see people come to Christ, it has become a distraction in your life. And I'm telling you folks, it is sin. Our focus as Christians needs to be on reaching the world with the gospel message. Our focus as Christians need to be focused on telling people that they're lost and they're dying and they're on their way to hell. 
But Jesus died for their sins. And that if they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, He will take their sin away. He will wipe their name out of the book of death and write their name in the book of life. And they will have eternal life. That's what matters. You're never going to fix all the problems in this world. You're just not going to do it. I don't care what you say. East Long Meadow right now, if you're any, how many parents of kids in East Long Meadow schools do we have? Oh my, yeah. What is going on in our town right now? We are freaking out over masks on kids in school, right? I mean, it is, this is how bad things are, man. In East Long Meadow, they started having discussion because the school board ruled that you, kids don't have to wear masks this year. Care, I don't care, really care what you think about it. If you want your kid to wear a mask, wear a mask. We're talking about whether our boys are going to wear masks or not. It's your, your choice because the school board didn't said that it's not required. But one conversation on Facebook devolved into calling people racial names and racists. Like, how did we get here? <laughs> We're talking about masks, and now you're calling people racists. I... <laughs> It's unbelievable. Listen, that's not our job as Christians. Our job is to do what is right in the sight of God and to shine the light of faith and Christianity to other people and to try to bring them to understand who Jesus is and why he is so vitally important in their lives. And that brings us to what this series is all about. Because of these signs and because of what I believe is the lateness of the hour of history, it's incredibly important that we look for answers to questions that people are asking. It's incredibly important that, important that we not only look for answers, but that we educate ourselves according to the word of God about what the Bible has to say and be able to answer their questions to the best of our abilities. I told you as we started last week, this message that we're continuing today is quite simply, if God is good, why? If God is good, why? And that question is many times phrased in different ways. If God is good, why does he allow evil? If God is love, why does he allow hate? If God is good, why did my child die? If God is good, why does he allow the pandemic. I heard somebody ask the question, if God is good and all powerful, why doesn't he just take care of this stuff and wipe it away? Now, I think those are valid questions. Whether I think they're shallow, whether I think they're easy, easily answered, whether I think they're an excuse, whether I think they're motivated uh, by the wrong uh, the, the wrong sense of understanding is totally irrelevant. People are asking these questions in an honest way. And it's not because they're looking to start an argument. And that's the problem most of us have. We get offended when people ask these honest questions and we go on defense. And when you go on defense, you are no longer looking out for what's the best thing for that person you are now looking to protect yourself. We don't need to protect ourselves. We have the word of God. Jesus said, when you speak, when you are called upon to speak, when you're brought up in the public 
and the questions are put to you and the answers are demanded, don't worry about it because I've got you. I'm taking care of you and I will give you what you need. But in order for you to get what you need from God, you need to prepare yourself and understand what the answers are to those questions. So let's dig into this question, is God good? If God is good, why? I think the first part of the question that we need to answer is this, is God good? Now, for those of us who have followed Christ for most of our lives, for those of us who are Christians and we've been in church, and for those of us who know what Christian speak is all about and we want to have the right Sunday school answer because that's what Mrs. Uh, Smith back in our second grade Sunday school class when we were children taught us and we just repeat the answers. For those of us who want to give that Sunday school answer, of course we're going to say, well, yes, God is good. What a silly question. But did you know that many people today don't think God is good? A large portion of America doesn't believe in God, period. But a large portion of America, including many evangelical Christians, don't believe God is good. In fact, their view of God is this large, monstrous individual who is just waiting to step on you when you get out of line. And he's about judgment and not about love. So when we speak of God being a God of love, they don't have any concept of what we're talking about. Part of the reason is because that's the way we represent him to the world. Anytime you say God hates fill in the blank, we are telling them that God is a monster. We are telling them that God isn't love, God is hate. We are telling them that God looks for nothing more for you than to get it right or else. So it's incredibly amazing how many people don't think God is good and they'll give you a reason why. It isn't good enough to say, yes, he is. We need to be able to give valid support to our answers. We need to be able to give them biblical, concrete evidence from God's word. Maybe you've experienced this. The hardest battle for me to fight as a Christian is the battle of somebody else's bad example, right? So many Christians live their lives in such a way that it's negative for the kingdom of God. If you have the, if, if you have the courage to raise your hand, how many of you have been hurt by a Christian in church? Look at that, man. And that's just us. <laughs> That's just, that's our own. That's like, that's like your brother against your brother or your sister against your sister. So if we can't even be nice and kind and loving to our own people, to our own brothers and sisters in Christ, how much worse is it when we interact with those people out there? When they don't meet our standards, when they don't meet our ethical desires, when they're not doing exactly what we think they should do. By the way, you have no right to expect a person that doesn't know Jesus to act like a Christian. They're just, they're not responsible for that. That's not their, that, that's not their way. 
The Bible says that they are not spiritually discerning because they don't have the Holy Spirit living within them. And our our concern and our fight and our argument should not be about their sin. It should be about their soul. That's what they need. You see, you can win an argument with them and they can change themselves. They can change their lives. They can live wonderfully. They can be the uh, the, the upstanding mora- uh, moral citizen and win citizen of the year. They can get in the convertible and ride through the East Longmeadow 4th of July parade as citizen of the year because of their, uh, their, their um, great uh, ways that they treat people and all the great things they do for the society, for the community. But if they don't know Jesus as their savior, none of that matters. You see, so getting them to a place of being cleaned up doesn't matter. It's like that. I know that it, several years ago in political cycles, it became a popular term, but I heard it long before that. You can dress a pig up, give it a bath, put a bow on it, put lipstick on it, but it's still a pig. Not making anything different than it is. I'm not referring to lost people as pigs. Don't get me wrong. It's just an illustration. The fact of the matter is you can clean up their lives. They can clean up their lives and it doesn't matter because the Bible says you can't work or earn your way to heaven. You just can't do it. So let's answer that question. Biblically, is God good? If you ask me in my life, is God good? Absolutely. When I took my prayer drive yesterday, I started off and I I almost had to pull over because my eyes were filling up with tears because I was just so thankful for all God has blessed me with. I started recounting all the things that God has done for me. And I, I, uh, I, I'm so, and I, I know I've already mentioned it, but I'm so proud of my wife. She's worked so hard to finish college. And not only am I proud of her, but I'm so blessed that God has brought a woman like Aaron into my life. I'm blessed beyond belief. I'm amazingly blessed because after having raised my my first group of children, God has blessed me to be the father of twin boys. And as much as they drive me crazy, (laughs) I wouldn't have it any other way, man. Those boys are amazing. Those boys are awesome. They're, They're just something else. And I'm incredibly blessed to be Gabriel and Michael. Of all the people... Of all the men in this world, of all the men in this state, of all the men in in the foster care system, of all the people in the foster care system that could have been chosen to be those two boys' father, it was me. (laughs) That's incredible. I get to be part of a loving, caring, compassionate body of believers at New Life Church. Not only that, but I get to be the pastor It's an amazing blessing. So if you ask me anecdotally, I will tell you without a doubt, God is good. God is very, very good. But that's just my testimony. And while that may work for some people that you meet, that's not going to work for everybody. So how do we know? How do we prove? How do we share with people the fact that God is good? What does the Bible tell us about 
God and his goodness. First thing we see in 1 Chronicles 16, 34, is that we are to be thankful because of God's goodness. In fact, it is just assumed that God is good. And we should be thankful because of his goodness. 1 Chronicles 16, 34 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So we should be thankful as believers. Why? Straight up. One big reason. Simply because God is good. How would you feel if that verse says, if that verse said what most, what many people in society think, be afraid of God for he is bad. But it's not what it says. Be thankful because God is good and his love endures forever. Now, that sounds great for those of us who are his children. That sounds great for us for those who are in church. But what about those, even those who deny God's very existence? How does that apply to them? Well, Psalm 145 verse 9. Not only is God good, he is good to everyone. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. God is good to everybody. He shows his love. I mean, think about it. The very air you breathe is a gift from God. If you like summer vegetables and fruits, those are gifts from God. If you are a meat eater, those animals are a gift from God. You see, if God were to, I remember I said this one time, and Vicki Colwell called me on it. I said, if God shut off the oxygen in the world right now, where would we all be? And Vicki laughed, and she said, I'd still be here because she had her oxygen tank. <laughs> like, jeez. Always have to be careful when you say things like that. The Lord is good to everyone. In fact, Jesus said, and we'll, we'll see this verse later, he makes it rain on the good and the evil. Now, those aren't just the words of people who have written. I mean, those are the words of the authors of those books. But what did Jesus himself have to say about the matter? Mark chapter 10, verse 18. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. Now, there was a double meaning there for Jesus. He was saying, you're saying, first of all, that God is good. And secondly, you're declaring that I am God. Because when you call me good, God is the source of good. And I am that source. I am God. So not only was that an expression of one of the attributes of God, it was also a declarative statement about the deity of Jesus Christ, another proof of his ability to be our Savior. Jesus himself said that God is good. So whether you want to take my word for it or not, shouldn't matter. Jesus, the creator of all things, the God creative God incarnate, the God-man, the Savior of all the world, has told us himself 
that God is good. Because God is good, according to James 1.17, he gives good gifts to his children. In James 1.17, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So not only is God good, not only is God good to everyone, to his children, he gives good blessings. Do you know that God wants what's best for you? He wants what's, sometimes it may not seem like that, right? Sometimes it may not seem like he's got your best interest at heart. Sometimes it's difficult to go through what you're going through. But if we would trust the fact that God is good and God desires what's best for us and follow the, the program that he has laid out, then he would show us and reveal to us what that plan is and that he is good. According to Nahum 1.7, God's goodness should be a source of strength and a resource of compa compassion in our times of difficulty. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in a day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him. It's one of the things that we battle with right now, right? So much fear. And not just fear in the world, fear in the church. Christians are dividing over this pandemic. They're dividing over politics. They're dividing over um, political issues and political parties and the way things are done. And we're becoming more and more divided by region. And there's judgment flying back and forth between churches, between Christian groups. When what we should be doing is running to the arms of compassion, is running to our source of goodness, is hiding under the everlasting wings of Jesus Christ. And even though things look bleak, even though things look difficult, even though, though things look tough right now, even though things are hard, we understand and should understand that God is good, God has a plan, and it is the best thing for us to follow. And all that, this, all that these distractions in this world are doing, and the, the only thing they're designed to do by Satan is to divide us, and it's working. So the biblical record is undoubtedly clear, yes, God is good. And that's just a short portion of verses that talk about the goodness of God. In Psalms it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I remember as a kid wondering, who is surely goodness? See? Surely, thank you. Thank you, Sue. For the... <laughs> But a big part of the problem is that we want God to fit into our box. Here's where, here's where the rubber meets the road. Here, here's where things get really difficult and touchy with Christians. And while I may have had some people up to this point, this is where I lose people. Because nobody likes to hear this. Big part of the problem is that we want God to fit into our box or our preconceived notion of who he is or who we expect him to be. I won't ask you to raise your hands on this, but how many times has God not lived up to your expectations in your life? How many times has God not been what you expected him to be? 
Therefore, the questioning of God and his goodness and his desire and his love for you and his compassion for you start rolling around and, and streaming around in your mind. And you start looking for answers elsewhere. And you start turning to books that feed into your narrative of who God should be. When the problem all along is your expectations of God are wrong, you're attempting to put God into a box and God doesn't fit neatly into a box. And your preconceived notion of who God is, is absolutely wrong. I remember growing up in churches, um, fundamental Baptist churches as a kid. And there was a certain way, and those of you who grew up in different denominations, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There was a way your churches did things. Your church worshiped certain ways. Your church had a, 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 a set way of service. How many of you went to a church when you were a kid that had um, a, a, a sign up on the front, uh, front wall of the church that had last week's attendance, this week's attendance, and all of the hymns that you were going to sing that day, right? Order. Let all things be done decently and in order. If you were a man and you weren't wearing a suit and tie, you were a visitor, right? If you were a woman and weren't wearing a dress, you were <gasps> wearing pants. If you got through the front door, you were a visitor, right? We had preconceived notions of who God was. And listen, that's not necessarily wrong or bad as long as you're doing it because that's the way you've chosen to do it, not because you think that's right and people who don't do it your way are in sin. But I grew up that way. I was happy. I loved church. I've always loved church. I love everything about church. In fact, I had to make sure when I became a man that I loved Jesus more than church, if that makes any sense. Because I loved the things about church. I loved the structure of church. I loved going to church. But I had to make sure that Jesus was my focus and that church wasn't. But then something happened in my 20s, and I got a hold of a book. That book was written by a man named Philip Yancey. And it was called The Jesus I Never Knew. And it rocked my world. It showed me things from a different perspective about Jesus, everything biblical, everything scriptural, just looking through a different lens and looking from a different direction. And it shook me up. And then when I was on Reforger over in Germany in 1986, we had finished our work in the field. We were back recovering our vehicles and uh, trying to get your vehicles ready to ship back to the United States when they've been out in the field in, uh, on a Reforger in the country, uh, the hill country of, England, of, of Germany is extremely interesting. But while we were doing that, the chapel program in Germany put on a series of concerts. And one of those concerts was put on by a man named Bobby Michaels. You can go online and you can look up his music and he's passed away now. But he was a few years older than me. And I listened to his music and I loved his music. Great voice, music was great, it really appealed to me. 
And I had the privilege of sitting down with him after his concert. And we talked for three hours. We sat in that chapel and talked for three hours. It was amazing. Being able to be thousands of miles away from home in a foreign country, in the army, <laughs> and sitting down with a brother in Christ and talking about Jesus and talking about our childhoods and how we were raised and where we, where, the kind of churches we came from and, and what it was like. Oh man, it was, it was like fresh oil. And I'm thinking all this time, this is awesome. This guy is great. I wonder what Baptist church he grew up in. And I'm, I'm serious. That's exactly what I thought. That was the question in my mind. So I asked him. I said, well, hey, Bobby, what church did you grow up in? And his answer, and this may not seem earth-shattering or earth-shaking to you, but to me, his answer shook me to my core. He said, I grew up in such and such Christian church in my town. I felt like I had just been punched in the nose. Wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. This guy that loves Jesus like I love Jesus, that is compassionate, that whose desire is to see people come to know Christ. Wait a minute. He's not a Baptist? I had to process that for weeks. You say, well, that's kind of crazy. Okay. Well, think about the things that you get shaken up about in your faith when God doesn't fit into your box. When those preconceived notions about what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be a Christian, are shaken to their core. <clears throat> and I thought about it. And I prayed about it. And I got answers. And that was the beginning of my mind opening to the wider scope of how God wants to work in the world. And how he uses different people in different situations. And beyond that, the greatest thing that that conversation and that book did for me was to tear down the walls of the box that I had put God in. And I could now see God in a different way. My preconceived notions were gone, and I felt like I had been freed. I would challenge you this morning, if you have God in a box... If God is not meeting up to your standards, change your standards. Open up the box. Let God out. Because of that, the second part of the question is this. Can humanity understand everything about God and his ways? Can humanity understand everything about God as ways? Because, hey man, we speak for God a lot of times, don't we? When we say God hates such and such, we're speaking for God. Jesus never said that. When we say Jesus would vote Republican, <laughs> or Jesus would vote Democrat, we're speaking for ourselves, not for him. When certain groups say, well, Jesus would have just baked the cake, 
or Jesus would wear a mask, we're speaking for ourselves, not him. You see, we need to live in such a way that Jesus and his love speaks through us and we don't speak for him in his place. So can humanity understand everything about God and his ways? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Though we try. Listen, scientists and science are trying very hard to disprove the existence of God. That's what this is all about. That's what much of... Now, I'm, I'm, I'm for science. Listen, I think science is a, is a great thing. I think science proves God and his existence. I think science proves much about what is in the Bible. I think archaeology has shown us over and over and over again that the stories of, that, that have been pushed away as not true by archaeologists have been disproved because things have been found. Did you know that the hometown of Goliath was just unearthed? Amazing. So that kind of quiets people when you say that. First thing I want to point out is this. God's knowledge is unattainable for humanity. We aren't even close. We can learn, we can grow, we can understand. We can do things that advance our society, advance our knowledge, advance medical technology, advance uh, technology itself. I, I can't understand the person that came up with the, the computer chip. I, I can't, listen to me, I, I can't grasp that. All the, the knowledge, remember Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the movie, when they were trying to find the golden tickets and that one guy had made a, a computer that was going to tell them the location and the computer, finally the computer said, it was supposed to be funny, why would I tell you the location, blah, 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 I want the ticket. Well, that computer was enormous, right? And it still spit out a little card. Well, the phone I carry can do thousands and tens of thousands of times over what those early computers can do. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand that technology. And I'm thankful for those who do. But even with all the understanding that we have, we aren't even close to the knowledge of God. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as, high as, for, for as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's pretty, pretty deep and powerful. We aren't even close what does that mean? We don't try? Not at all. It means, it means that we should not get caught up in our arrogance. And we should not put all our eggs in the basket of human technology and human knowledge. Because God's knowledge is so much farther advanced than ours. I think the second thing we need to understand is this. God is God and we are not. When you want to answer the question, is God good... Don't put your standard to God of what is good because God is God and you are not. In our, in our in kind of a crude example of that is, 
Listen, you may raise your children in a certain way. You may have certain standards in your home. You may do things a certain way. You may uh, not let your kids watch certain kinds of TV. You may be against certain things. You may not allow your children to eat sugar. You may not allow your kids to, you may be a, a, a Dunkin' Donuts family and not a, a whatever other donuts are out there. You may not be a donut family at all. But that doesn't mean that you can go over and tell somebody else what's best for their kids. Because you don't understand everything about their child. You don't understand everything that's going on within those kids. You don't understand that family dynamic. So it's best that you take care of yourself and continue to try to be the best version of you that you can be and go along life that way. As Christians, it's incredibly important that we not try to be God. We simply be the best Christians we can be. Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10 say, Remember what happened long ago, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and no one is like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying, My plan will take place and I will do all my will. God is God and you are not. I think it's important to remember and understand and accept that many times God's wisdom is counterintuitive to our natural reactions. Many times God's will and God's wisdom and God's plan is counterintuitive to the way we would respond in a situation. I think Matthew chapter 5 verses 44 and 45 speaks to this very clearly. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do we hear a lot of that going on in the church today? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Here's the verse I was referring to earlier. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Why does God do those things? Listen, I don't have the mind of God, but I believe that one of the reasons would be this. He wants to show humanity that he is good. He wants to show humanity that he is in control. And he wants to show humanity that he cares for them. And he wants to draw them to himself. Another thing to understand is because God has a plan that will be seen to the end no matter what we choose to do. Understand this, no matter what we choose to do, God's plan will be seen through. Luke 12, 22 through 26, then he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or about the body, what you will wear for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens for they don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn. Yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? And those are the words of Jesus saying those things to us. The fact that God is all-knowing yet, yet, all yet unknowable should bolster our faith and confidence in him and his plan for our lives. 
even though we can get to know God on a certain level, yet there is always so much of him that we won't understand. Remember, God's, God's word says that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has even entered into the, the heart of man or the imagination of a human being, what God is preparing. What we see here on earth, what is so beautiful and amazing to us here on earth is nothing compared to what God is preparing for us in eternity. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I believe there's colors we've never seen. I believe there's sounds we've never heard. I believe there's beauty that we cannot imagine waiting for us in heaven. And that's the reward for living a life given over to him. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36 tells us this. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward for you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what is promised. So where does that leave us? How does free will fit into this? And this is a great conversation among Christians. Do we have free will? There are actually those who don't believe we have free will. Or they have, we have a different version of free will. That our will is not necessarily free. That our will is controlled by God because humans don't have the ability to make good choices. We're talking about that on Wednesday nights in, in the Bible study that I lead in here uh, online. You can watch it online. <laughs> by the way, for those of you who are in the small groups on Wednesday night, the men's group or the ladies group or the Iwana workers, you can still see the Bible study that's here online throughout the week. You can just go look it up on Facebook. Talk about doctrine. And we're talking about these kind of things. We're going to be talking about the different, ver the different uh, theories of salvation, of doctrines of salvation. And one of them is that we don't necessarily have free will, that God chooses everything for us. And I'll submit to you that if that is true, then what people are blaming on God is true as well. If humans don't have the ability to make choices on their own, then God is not only in control, but God makes every decision and directs everything himself. But that's not true. How does free will fit into this? C.S. Lewis said the sin, of both, the sin both of men and of angels was rendered possible by the fact that God gave us a free will. A survey was done and asked the question, do you believe that God determines what happens to you? The survey was made of um, American adults. 20% believe that God determines what happens to you all the time. 21% determines God, what, God determines what happens to you most of the time. 18% some of the time. 9% hardly ever. 18% never. 1% don't know. And 10% don't believe in God or a higher power. So we can see that our country, our, our society is all over the map when it comes to this question. What does the Bible say? Do we have a right to, do we have it, do we have it right when we express our opinion on what God doesn't do or does do or control? What does the Bible have to say? Very quickly. First of all, we have the right to choose our own path. Once again, you can think whatever you want. You can hypothesize whatever you want. You can surmise whatever you want. It means nothing if you don't have scripture to back it up. All it is is your opinion. That's all it is. 
If we're going to answer these questions, we have to have the Bible behind us in context to prove our point. We have the right to choose our own path. God doesn't force us to do anything, but he does provide opportunities or open doors for us to take advantage of. God doesn't force you to do anything. Think about it. The last time you didn't get up for church and you decided that you were going to watch it online, was that you deciding or was that God deciding? Because if you say it was God's de God deciding, you'd have to prove that with the word. If you say it's you deciding, then you're just absolutely giving credence to the fact that God gives you the right to choose. Proverbs 16, 9 says, a, man, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. God has a plan for you. Secondly, God promises his blessing on efforts that are focused on his plan. Leviticus 16, 5. Keep my statutes and ordinances. A person will live if he does them. I am the Lord. Next, you have the right to choose. You choose to have God's blessing on your life. I mean, free will isn't just the ability to choose whether or not to accept Jesus as our Savior. Free will is, as a Christian, the right to choose to have God's blessing on your life. Joshua 24, 15. Joshua was speaking to the children of Israel as they were getting ready to take over the promised land. He says, but if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today, which you will worship, the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. And we see what happened in Joshua's life. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Man, it is abundantly clear that God lays before us the choice for our lives, the choice to follow him. And if we choose to follow him, he promises to bless our lives. The, the promise of blessing is not there if you choose not to follow him. And, pro, and God provides us examples of success to follow and model. Man, read the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, 24 and 26 tell us about one individual specifically. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather, enjoy the, rather than in, to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. And the Bible says that no greater prophet ever rose up from Israel than Moses, no greater leader. So what does this mean for humanity? Well, it means this. God has a plan, but you have a choice. God has a plan, but you have a choice. And this is all going to dovetail together here very quickly. Because I know it's been, we're talking about God being good. We're talking about free will. What does that all have to do with each other? You'll find out here in just a second. God has a plan, but you have a choice. You can choose to follow God's way, or you can choose to follow your own way. 
But only God's path has his blessing, his guidance, and his power. Understand that. You choose your own way, you're on your own. You choose God's way, you have God's blessing, God's wisdom, and God's power. If you choose your own way, you're on your own, as it says in Isaiah 59, verse 2. But your iniquities are separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. You choose your own path, man. You're on your own. God is not obligated to bless your efforts if you're going your own way. The choices we make determine the lives we lead. And they also determine the consequences of our actions. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 through 10 says, The heart is more deceitful than everything else and incurable. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. The choices we make determine the lives we lead. Bad choices lead to bad results. Bad choices lead to bad. You see where I'm going with this? Bad choices lead to bad results. Listen, we blame God for all these terrible things that are happening when the fact of the matter is bad choices lead to bad results. God in his great love and compassion for you has given you the greatest gift of free will. You can choose. Jesus Christ died for your sins. You have to choose whether to accept that and accept him as your savior or not. He has promised you a life of, a life of blessing and abundance in his definition of abundance if you will follow him. But you have to choose. Bad choices lead to bad results. Matthew 26, verses 14 through 16 says, Then one of the twelve, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they weighed out 30 pieces of silver for him, and from that time he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. Now Jesus died for our sins, and that was prophesied, and that was important, and we have eternal life because of that. But what happened to Judas, if you read on in the story of, of the life of Judas Iscariot, he was so hounded by guilt that he hung himself. And he didn't choose a good tree to hang himself from because the branch broke under the weight of his body and he fell to the earth and his body exploded. See, bad choices have bad results. Here's where... This all comes together. Is God good? If God is good, why? If God is good, why does he do this? If God is good, why does he allow this to happen? Blaming God for the consequences of humanity's bad choices is dysfunctional, unbiblical, and ego-driven. We are failing to take responsibility for our actions. Parents, you make bad choices raising your kids, Guess what? You're going to see bad kids. Husbands, you make a bad choice to sneak around and cheat on your wife. Guess what? Going to be a bad result. Ladies, 
You choose to flirt at work with men that aren't your husband. Call them your work husband. Let them call you your work wife. Guess what? Bad choice. You're going to have some results. Bad results. Fact of the matter is, folks, we need to take responsibility for our own choices. It's not God's fault. He has given you free will. Uh, Pastor John, I just don't agree with that. Do you have scripture for it? Absolutely. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Wonder why God's not blessing your life? Well, are you following his plan? Well, I know, way, I know the way things should happen. Listen, I know, I, I know more than those people. I know more than the pastor. Pastor's doing things wrong. Can I just say, can I just say this? That's not your call. You, if you don't agree with what I'm doing, you can come sit down and talk to me. But don't you dare take it into your own hands to fix things that you think are my mistake. Have the manhood or the womanhood to come and talk to me. And we could talk about it. Because you're not responsible. And I'm tired of cleaning up messes that other people make. I truly am. So you come and talk to me if you don't agree. Have that kind of character and courage. If you are struggling in your marriage, have the love and compassion and character to sit down and chat and talk about what's going on. Listen, not everything works out. We can't always get over everything. But before we, need to ma before we make a decision in life, we need to make sure we are fully informed. Because your decisions affect more than just you. I'm not saying you should stay in a bad marriage. I'm not saying you should stay in a church that you disagree with. I'm not saying you should stay at a job that compromises your integrity. What I'm saying is you need to understand, grow the courage within yourself from God to find out, investigate, and get all the knowledge and wisdom you can, and then make the best choice according to the plan and will of God. And when you've made that choice, own that choice, stand behind what you've done, take responsibility for it, and live that way, and don't blame God for your bad choice or your good choice. Just thank God for the wisdom to do the things that you can do and the blessings that he places in your life. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says we are all planting in some way. We are all planting in some way. We're planting something. You cannot plant and not expect a harvest. It's going to happen. What that fruit is, is determined by what you planted. You don't plant tomato plants and expect cucumbers. You don't plant peas and expect corn. As a man or a woman sows, 
That's how he will reap. Is God good? Absolutely. God is so good. Does God have a great desire and plan for your life? Absolutely. But I believe the greatest demonstration of God's love for humanity, other than Jesus Christ dying on the cross, is the fact that he gives us the free will to choose our way. At least give him the respect of owning your choice. And when you talk to people, make sure you help them to understand that God's plan is that they make the choice they need to make. Listen, it's not fun. It is not, it is zero fun living with the consequences of somebody else's actions. And many of you know, you know where I'm coming from. Because your life has been thrown into a tailspin because someone else chose to do something. Some of you in marriage, you are dealing with the fallout of a bad choice by your spouse or your ex-spouse. I get it. But it's not God's fault. That person made the choice. Give glory to God, seek him out, and let him lead you through the disaster because he will. And you will come through it as Job said. I may not be able to see him on the left. I can't see him. I know he's working, but I can't see him on the right. When I go forward, he's not there. When I go backward, he's not there. But he knows the way that I'm going when he has tried me, when his plan is brought to the finish, when fruit is born from his plan, I will come forth as gold. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for the privilege of being here today, for your love and your grace and your mercy. And God, so many times it's so difficult, especially nowadays, God, with so much going on, Seems like there's a new thing coming down the road every day. Father, give us the wisdom and the understanding and the courage to sift through the rubble, to block out the noise and hear your voice. You said to Elijah, you weren't in the storm, you weren't in the earthquake, you weren't in the wind, you were in a still small voice. God, may we listen for that. Lord, there are many people in our church right now going through problems that are not of their own doing. God, they're suffering for things that they didn't choose, yet they have to go through it. And God, it would cause us to question many times, are you good? Do you really love us? Lord, I pray that you'll be near to your children right now. I pray that you'll wrap them in your love. May they feel you close. Use someone in their lives to help them see your love and compassion and guide them through. God, some of us have people in our lives who are going through these difficulties and they're asking these kinds of questions. Lord, I pray that we will take to heart what we've heard today, learn from it, grow ourselves and be ready with those answers when those questions are asked. Father, give us courage. Give us strength, give us might, give us power. 
May we not shake and may we not shrink away from our responsibility. God, may we embrace the life you've given us with power, with authority, and may we live for you. God bless us as we go. May we seek those open doors. May we seek those opportunities and see them when they're there. Your precious name, we pray all these things. Amen.